Yeah. I do not want to go with a tour group. I don't want to go with some group from the U.S. I want to go from with, with native people from the region who know the animals and uh, make a living doing that. And I want to support that. I feel very strongly that it's important to support local people because they're doing the work on the ground of helping protect species. Uh, really in Chile too, like they're doing some amazing work with penguins. They're doing amazing work with, um, you know, leopard seals and, you know, d different kinds of species of dolphins. They're doing just doing amazing work. So I feel like that's a, that's a moral responsibility, but that goes back to an eco-consciousness, right? You've got to, you've got to walk the walk. I'm spending more money because I'm hiring local people, believe it or not. And that is okay. And that is the right thing to do. And so, you know, when I was just there, I had two guides and they're married couple, Javiera and Junior. And they're marvelous. He's from Brazil originally, but now he's living in Chile full time with her. She's a native Chilean and they just are marvelous. And they are totally in 100% on Pumas. Like they, that's what they do. And they are amazing. And that's, I want to learn from them. No one else. Welcome to Insights of an Eco Artist. My name is Joana Alacan. I'm an eco artist and arts writer. In every episode, I bring you worldwide artists that embody the fight to create a more sustainable world. Here with me today, I have Paul Brook, a wildlife photographer, eco-poet and writer. Paul started as a biologist and later on transformed his passion for wildlife into a career as a photographer and poet. Most of his works are merged between his knowledge of science, the ecosystems, his passion for culture and eco-theories that are then showcased in his unique poem structures, and his perspective as a photographer that records his observation of nature. As a photographer, Paul dedicates his practice to highlight species like jaguars or puma and understand their specific adaptations and behaviors. And so as a consequence, he travels often to Brazil and Chile to be in contact with local communities and their wildlife. And this is an interesting aspect of his practice. It's important for him to be immersed in the culture that he is highlighting and fighting for. Paul is an accomplished photographer, lecturer, and poet, with many books published and awards received, and he shares his experience on the nuances of being a wildlife photographer. Let's dive in. Thank you for being here. It's so nice to see you again. Let's just start by you telling us a bit about yourself and your artistic philosophy. Well, I mean, I've, I've been an eco artist and writer for now over 25 years. So it's interesting, like the way that people are now perceiving that it's really changed because people are very interested in climate change. They have, I think many people have embraced eco philosophies and environmental philosophies that are profound to them. And so, you know, early on in my career, I really gravitated towards a, a, a guy named Gary Snyder. He's 91 now. And he was really a beat poet. And he I really helped me kind of form my philosophy at first. And then I was working in Alaska when I was 21 years old. And that really solidified for me, like how I need to treat the land and how how the land should, you know, in, in a way, it's it, there's a kind of sanctity to the land and you need yeah. to treat it that way. And there's a lot of places in the world where that doesn't go on. And so it's um, it's been a lifelong concern for me and something that I hold deeply as a kind of tenet to uh, the way I see, you know, my writing and my craft of, of art. It's, it's really essential. 
Can you tell us a bit about the experience of being a biologist? Absolutely. So when I was pretty young, I went to Alaska to work as a biologist and that was awesome, but the market was just not good. Um, I really, it's interesting, but I really wanted to work with polar bears and that now they've become kind of the centerpiece of the, you know, the conservation movement in terms of thinking about climate change. And so, you know, I interviewed, I didn't get the job and the person who got it, she's fantastic and definitely deserved it. And she was uh, the right choice. Absolutely. And so I just thought, well, there are other ways to do this kind of work. And so I, my career kind of took a, a U-turn, but I knew I could write and be a professor. And yeah, so that's kind of why it led me that direction. So now you have, uh, you did, so you did your degree in biology and then your master's and PhD in English. Mm -hmm. How did you become yeah. a, f a photographer? Well, I mean, I think it was, it was interesting. Like when I came out of the university and, and went right into my master's program, it was a, it was a bit of a shock because I went from pure science to creative writing, which are, you know, it's like these two extremes, right? And so it was, you know, in terms of my mind, it was interesting to try to settle and understand how those two things should work in, in concert with each other. I figured out pretty quickly that you could apply science to literature and you could, uh, you could do the kind of analysis, deep analysis that was required and still be creative. And so I That's probably why I'm drawn to form poetry because there are rules, and then I like to break those rules. Does it make sense? So you're, you're like it's like you're navigating these waters of of control and no control, and um, that's what's interesting, right? About those two connections, and so yeah, so that's so I I went on to get my PhD, but I've never forgotten about science, and I it's intrinsically important to me, and really essential to my art. Because I, I, I learn all this stuff, right? I'm gathering information, right? I always have, you know, I always have a, a journal nearby that I'm writing in. And then I'm gathering that information. And then that becomes the art, right? Just like when you do sculpting, I'm sure you're, you're looking at all these things that are in the world and then yeah. picking and choosing to kind of figure out what to, what to sculpt. And so I, I think that's part of it. I think in terms of, you know, finding a place in the world that's important to realize like how the, the intersection of different disciplines work. And so for me, it's important that those two things connect to each other. And when they do, that's where great art is formed. Okay. So you still use your background in biology to feed your artistic practice in terms that you gather a lot of information that feeds uh, the kind of photography and poems that you create and writing that you create. Yes. Yeah, so I when when I'm creating work, oftentimes sometimes I'm in the field I'm photographing. So for example, when I was just in Chile, I really, you know, I did about 8,000 photographs and then that becomes a kind of journal of my experience and then I take notes along the way. And then when I come home, oftentimes or even when I'm there, I'm I'll be writing those those responses, uh, those poems, if it's nonfiction or whatever. I'm that's helping me like have detail, right? Have information that is unusual. For for example, I'm just always asking like my trackers, like which which animal is this? You know, how many cubs had? How long has she been alive? I'm just I want to know everything I can. You know, what plant is this? Why are they rubbing against it? Why do they cover their kill with this plant and not this other plant? It really helps. 
So you go to the to the places and you you bring your notebook. You're in the fields and you do all this research in terms that you look around, you see what the animals do, what yeah. fauna they eat, how they, as you said, how they cover their prey. How do you schedule? Because you are a lecturer, how you do a lot of international mm-hmm. travel. How do you schedule all of, all of that? How do you choose the animals to research and investigate? Because I'm sure they they say something to you they touch you personally. So that's why you. You go to these places and research yeah. these animals. Yeah. Well, in 2011, I became intrinsically fascinated by jaguars. And the reason that was the case was because I was a, I was granted a sabbatical by my university. So I had the whole semester off. And so I spent a month in the Amazon and in the Pantanal of uh, southern Brazil. And in the Amazon, I had this amazing experience where I had set out camera traps uh, for nine days uh, in the forest and got nothing like there were tracks by them and everything and and the lenses were fogging over so all you could you couldn't see like you couldn't see anything like it was just like you know like a blur like that right and so on the ninth day I, I was very upset and we were walking down the trail and my guide whispered to me onsa and I looked and there was a jaguar probably 25 meters away and he turned and looked at us and then he ran through the flooded forest. And I remember he was running and throwing the water up just beautifully, just running. And I, was, I couldn't photograph it. I just was like, there's no way to do it. And I was like, oh. and I was just like so captivated by it. It was just so beautiful and moving. And after that, then I became obsessed with them. I did a whole book on them, which I know you're going to ask me about later, but that's what led me to to that kind of experience and that kind of revelation. Pure joy, for sure. Okay, so you go to this, uh, it's, this is a question mm-hmm. I asked you before, but I want you to delve a bit okay. on, on it. In terms of that, you go to these places and you basically don't have any collaboration. So you don't have any one there. You just meet someone local that mm-hmm. uh, shows you the ways, basically. Yeah, I do not want to go with a tour group. I don't want to go with some group from the U.S. I want to go from with with native people from the region who know the animals and uh, make a living doing that, and I want to support that. I feel very strongly that it's important to support local people because they're doing the work on the ground of helping protect species. Uh, really in Chile, too. Like They're doing some amazing work with penguins. They're doing amazing work with... Um, yeah you know, leopard seals and, you know, d- different kinds of species of dolphins. They're doing just doing amazing work. So I feel like that's a that's a moral responsibility, but that goes back to an eco-consciousness, right? You've got to, you've got to walk the walk. I'm spending more money because I'm hiring local people, believe it or not, and that is okay. And that is the right yeah. thing to do. And so, you know, when I was just there, I had two guides and they're a married couple, Javiara and Junior. And they're marvelous. He's from Brazil originally, but now he's living in Chile full time with her. She's a native Chilean. And they just are marvelous. And they are totally in 100% on Pumas. Like they, that's what they do. And they are amazing. And that's, I want to learn from them. No one else. Yeah, that's great. You basically gain a, a bigger experience, a more fulfilling experience because you are within the culture. You, you are dealing mm. with people that know the land and the culture of the place. That must be a, yeah. a much more rewarding experience. 
Yeah, we always were laughing like we're in the car driving around and I just said, I want to listen to what you're listening to. You know, I want to the experience for me is I don't need to listen to American radio or, you know, music. I don't care. I want to hear what the native people are listening to. I want to know what's your what are your favorite groups here? eating all the traditional foods. Like I don't need, I don't want a cheeseburger. I don't care. Like I want to, I want to be there and be on the ground and, and try everything and, and, and live that life. And because then you have appreciation for it. And if you don't, then you're, you're selling out essentially my opinion. Yeah, I do agree. I do agree with you. If you go to a place and you are not willing to understand the culture and understand the people that are there and their interests, it's just a hollow experience. It does. You just dare to take the pictures and get out. Do you have any new projects in terms that you are very interested in ja- in jaguars? Uh, do you have any other species right now that you are currently researching and looking over? Well, you know, I, I'm doing a lot with pumas right now. That seems like the logical progression. So uh, the puma does exist uh, across uh, North and South America. There is called various things, mountain lions, catamount, whatever. But, uh, but in Chile, it's been interesting to see how ranchers are reacting to them much in the same way that you know, fishermen are reacting to jaguars in Brazil. So that's been a really interesting moment because a lot of ranchers there now in, in the rancheros, they uh, they they're like celebrating in some ways the, uh, the the puma because a lot of tourists are coming to visit them and they're finding they're making more money than raising oh. sheep. So uh, the monetary upside is very strong, and the same with uh, jaguars in Brazil. There's just a lot of money to be made with tourism coming. And so uh, we're seeing a switch and we're seeing, and we're seeing some of the, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but we're seeing some of the old traditional ranchers of Chile, you know, they're getting sold that they're giving the farm now to the son or the daughter, and then they're doing new practices. And so it's, you see this kind of change in generations and um, it's exciting because you walk the land and you don't see any sheep. You see a few head of cattle, and you mostly see a lot of pumas and a lot of guanacos. It's pretty exciting. So that's big predators. That's People are fascinated by them, but it also is teaching us about adaptability and about how we can, you know, manage and, and conserve, you know, predators, but also animals in a, in an environment in a way that's productive for the people who live there. Yeah. Actually, in in Portugal, we have uh, here, well, in this place, because I'm in a natural park. And uh, I told you my father was a, and he still is a photographer and my mother journalist. And they did, they had this organization to protect the Iberian wolf. I love it. And they encountered quite a resistance back, back in the time because they thought, so the local people thought that wolves had to be killed and they had a lot of tradition around killing the wolf. They had these pits they did in stone. So they put a ship uh, near it and they had like hills where they they did a lot of noise and pushed the wolf over yeah. the hill. And so, so my parents encountered quite a resistance when they started doing a documentary about the Iberian wolf. And I think now, I'm not sure because I'm not, I don't have all the data, but I think the Iberian wolf is, the preservation is much mm-hmm. better. So they better, the number of Iberian wolf here is, is spiked over the years. But in the beginning, and they even thought, they even thought that my parents were 
you know, releasing wolves in the <laughs> wild and, and bringing wolves home because they had dogs. And it was, I think there is a, a lot to be done uh, and speak about when in terms that when some person tries to, to go to a place and begin this process of conservation, there is still a lot of resistance in terms of local communities. Because if you are not from there, especially here in Portugal, and I presume that's not yeah. only here, they have like, you are an outsider, you have no right <laughs> to be here trying to do anything. So it's, it's, it's great to see how people and activists and photographers, I think photographers do a great job because they put a face, let's say like this, a face to a problem in terms of animal extinction and animal yeah. conservation. Yeah, I mean, and the photographs really are, are doing the trick for that because what's happening is, you and, and I'm, I would say, maybe not for me, but for other photographers, like we're getting enough photographs out there in the world on jaguars that now people really do care about them. And they're like, like, right to like my friend Roy is there right now, uh, Roy Toft, and he's, he's doing some really cool, you know, photographs, but he's, you know, he's, you're seeing, you know, some of these females that we've been tracking, like Amber and Ginger and others, and they're having cubs and people are like so vested in those cubs and so happy and they're giving money. It's going to so say, you know, like it's because it's like, you're seeing them do well and you can't, you, it's yeah it's a, it's a, it's a good thing that uh, the photos are out there and then when you're talking about you know all the books that are out and 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 I think social media has been really key for getting the word out about all this honestly it's probably been the most helpful thing i mean yeah. books are one yeah. thing but social media probably is the key yeah. How do you connect all different avenues of your practice? Because you are a lecturer, you are a photographer and an eco poet, uh, a writer. How do you connect all of these, compl no, not completely different, but these different uh, practices? Well, I, I, it's it's tricky, but it's it's really, I talk about that in a, a bit in terms of my philosophy of, of, of art. It's really a confluence that is a, it's a merging of all these different kinds of thought together. So you think about like a, a dry riverbed and then it rains and then you have all these creeks and, you know, other uh, tributaries feeding into it. And you're creating this art piece that really is uh, full of all kinds of science and photography and design and, and this artfulness. And then that's going to move people because people just can't read a poem and often have a revelation. But if they're seeing a beautiful photograph and they're seeing really interesting design work, and they're seeing the writing, it all comes together. And it, I think that's far more powerful than just sometimes just one mode. Certainly one mode can be great, but you give people more grips, more ways of grabbing onto it to make sense of it. And so that's the way I approach art is it's cross-disciplinary, you know, or transdisciplinary, whatever you want to call it. And it's across, and I feel it's the same idea about connecting cultures, right? it's cross-cultural. It's, it's all these, all these things are intersecting. And then in that moment, that's where great art happens, right? At least for me. So what do you think artistic freedom will look like in 50 years? This this question scares living crap out of me. I'm I'm scared because I feel like um it's going to be t uh, terrifying. I mean, I feel like we're we're getting to a place in the world where if you just look across the globe, it's like 
you can't really speak your mind. And, and, uh, I feel that in the United States, like never before have I felt that way. I always felt like I had artistic freedom and, and I, and I, I won't go into detail, but, uh, there was, there was uh, something I really wanted, uh, and f- from the state and they wouldn't, I know they wouldn't give it to me because of my political affiliation. And it's hard, you know, like you realize that there, you're, you're being punished for your ideology and, and uh, because there's such a division between Republicans and Democrats right now here, we're just seeing more of that. And, and they're they're pounding they're pounding the colleges and universities because we're teaching critical race theory or whatever, which isn't even true. It's just really scary. So I I I'm sort of terrified. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that it it improves, and I hope that we're more of a global. Uh, connected, you know, set of people who respect and care about each other. That's what I'm, that's what I'm after. But boy, it sure doesn't feel like we're heading that way. And, and I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that kind of feeling. I don't want it. How do you feel about it? Can you say? I think I feel a bit about, about the same as you, because I've been, because I'm a writer also, and I researched a lot of what's happening globally and our artists are creating this this dialogue around and around these issues, and actually statistics say that artistic freedom all over the world is in decline, especially with COVID, uh, countries being restricted, and people feel that they can't speak uh, at all in terms of artistic freedom. So anything that goes in terms of art against regimes, politics, or having a strong ideology is, you're going to have a lot of haters. And you speak out of term, uh, even if it's just speaking, it can be can be freedom of speech. Even, even just that, as you said, having an, an ideology, if it's not the mainstream ideology, it's, it's difficult to talk about. And I think that's creating this bubble where yeah ideas don't flourish at all and there is a lot especially as you said universities and teachers uh, they are being held accountable for what they teach and that's not that's not the right thing and artists face a lot of that because artists in some way the first impact on the public so I don't know if you could you know this art from Weiwei uh, that he created these photos, I, don't, I might be saying it wrong, but to create these photos uh, about um, that we've located, what happened to a, a refugee kid, mm-hmm. um, he landed on the coast, uh, and he replicated the image. And he was so attacked about that. And because they, they didn't saw it, they saw it as appropriation of a culture, of a moment, and it wasn't that. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe people should have the freedom uh, to talk about issues, and that's how things change. No, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's like it's, it's scary to imagine a world where, well, I mean, if you live in China, for example, I mean, he he suffered greatly. He they took his they took money from him. They jailed him. It's like, holy smokes. And so you begin to realize, like, if if I'm creating art that is doing that kind of provoking of, of thought, I'm putting myself in some kind of grave danger, then you're less likely to create that art. Right. It's a way to stymie and and control uh, the narrative, and that's terrifying to me. So I don't know. Like, I just think we got to keep having conversations and keep talking about it, and and keep uh, keep everyone connected. And if we do that, then maybe we'll be okay. But but I don't know. Yeah, I do agree with that. It's, it's not. It's a, it's a blink creature. If you think of 
of global atmospheres with everything happening. Yeah. This is a constant thing. War happens, uh, food insecurity happens, climate insecurity is happening more and more and more. But it's, it's hard to hear that in a time like this today that we are so educated, we have so many security in so many places that these dialogues still happen. Exactly. So last in our last conversation, you mentioned a project. I might be saying it wrong, but it was a, a microscopic images of animals. So it yeah. showed me a bee and mm -hmm. a bird, mm -hmm. a bird feather. Can you tell tell me yeah. <laughs> tell us about about the, the project? Yeah, like uh, so. This is this is a scanning electron microscope, and so you can go from you can go up to a hundred thousand times magnification, one hundred thousand times. So you can come in on something so very very small. You can just look at it very very detailed. And what's cool about it is I'm I'm so the next project is to like to photo, do photographs of uh, puma fur, guanaco fur. Uh, flamingo feathers, etc., and to show the beauty of that at a very, very small, detailed level, because you know, oftentimes we look at something, and you know, you don't understand like how it's how it's made. Like, what does the hair structure of a puma look like? Different than a jaguar, right? Jaguars are more segmented. These look actually very different. So to show the difference is really interesting, but also it's like kind of the cutting edge of photography. It's incredibly expensive to do it, but I've been getting trying to get, I've had a grant the first time I went, but I'm, I'm going to keep trying to do that. And then I, I really like to work hopefully with the Smithsonian to, uh, to go there and, and, and then do some 3d modeling of, um, different specimens. Uh, especially I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about doing some work with meteorites, uh, photographing those at a very high, probably under electron microscope as well to show the beauty of them, but also to realize like, you know, some of these are 1.3 million years old. And so to see like a meteorite and to see its configuration, and then also to understand like what it's made out of is very interesting to me, but also very beautiful in terms of art. So that's why I'm, I'm interested in microscopic work. It's just a different way of looking at the world. So yeah, so I'm up to. How do you, did you come up with the idea? Well, right now, um, macro photography is a really big, big, uh, a lot of people are doing it in across the world. And so there are some amazing like Instagram sites and whatnot where people are photographing like insects in their own homes. And then I really wanted to go like a step farther and, and see like how far you could go. And, uh, there was there's one active uh, place in the United States where you can actually rent it for the day. Okay. So I went there and photographed using it and it was awesome. And now he's got a new one that's in color. That was a black and white. So now uh, the specimens will be even more uh, amazing. Yeah. And then uh, I would like to eventually like do more with that, with that uh, aspect. But, you know, those machines cost anywhere from $150,000 to $250,000 US. <laughs> so that's great. I can't afford that. No one can. But to rent them is very expensive as well. So I don't know, like it's it's cost prohibitive, but it's a really cool thing to do. Are you thinking of exhibiting the images or creating a book out of it? Um, both. I want to do both. And so I'm thinking about, you know, like uh, I'm thinking about six panel installations where I'm doing, you know, kind of one one kind of photograph and then also like a poem and then like, a, you know, a piece of my journal. So we'd have like maybe a blurred motion photo and then we'd have like a, a super microscopic version then we'd have like a poem and then a piece of journal and then like uh, a specimen shot and then like a landscape shot so you really see all aspects of the animal from kind of like the tiniest to the most extreme so i'm calling it myopic so from little to big that's, that's amazing 
do you prefer the white cube atmosphere or to be you know to show the local communities and get them to know the animals that live with them yeah i think for people in their in their region to really know how much other people in the world respect and love what they have in their environment is important so that's what i want to do okay So we are reaching the end questions today. So first one, what are your insights into the importance of art as a tool to raise awareness of social and ecological problems? I mean, it's what I, I totally believe in. Like, I, I feel like to, to, to do good art is to create meaningful dialogues and then also push people to think past their stereotypes and their misconceptions of the world and um there's so much misinformation and there's so much um confusion and so if you can cut through that and show that in a new way for example those six panel right you would see this animal in all these different kinds of ways and then in the middle is some kind of truth right we're finding out about what their biology is we're finding out what uh what they eat how they act what they are like, what they need, what their environment must be, how how we should leave them alone. All this stuff you're learning. And in a way, it's a way to instruct people to honor these animals and then honor their environments yeah. and, and keep them safe. So if I can do that with art, that would be amazing. That's what I'm going for, but we'll see. So you, you believe that having information is the key to change things? Yeah. I mean, if you think about, you talked about wolves earlier, but wolves in the United States have been totally demonized. And so I remember when I was working at a resort in upper Minnesota, up in the northern part of the U.S., people hated wolves and they would run them down with their snow machines and kill them. And I would almost get into fights with people about it. It was so awful they were doing it. And so if you start to demythologize them and show them in a way that is more, and I'm not saying human, but certainly more personable and more uh, something, uh, an aesthetic that they can appreciate, you know, much like the Iberian wolf, then people begin to then stop thinking of them as demons and start yep. thinking of them as an important part of the environment that you don't want to kill. Yeah, we mm -hmm. do that. So what is the most important lesson you have learned over your career? <laughs> <laughs> I think the most important lesson is to listen to listen to local people and just honor them. If you don't, you're in trouble. I mean, wherever you're traveling, I've gone to lots and lots of countries from, you know, Mongolia to Costa Rica to Nicaragua to, and I've not been to Portugal yet, but that's on my list. And just to be respectful and be, and be open to listening and learning. And if you do that, I, I think that that's the biggest revelation for me is once I began to do that and really become a listener, then, then it's transformative in a, in a kind of way that will help your art, honestly, because you're, you're learning new things and you're finding new ways of seeing, and that's when art becomes exciting. Yeah, totally, totally agree with you. So what are the three things you would recommend an artist to do for themselves and their careers, and why? Well, I would say stick to your ethic, right? Uh, decide, you know, write out your philosophy of what your, your art philosophy is, your ideology. Write it out. What is it? And, and, and identify it, and then stick to it and then practice it. So those are the three things, right? So it's like, 
in your day-to-day life, what are you doing that is, that is, are you doing stuff to destroy the environment? Or are you doing things to make good decisions to not? And then when you're creating your art, what are you doing? What are you doing that is uh, helping society, helping culture, helping uh, the environment? And if you can think that through, that ideology will help you create the best work you can create. And also you can feel good about what you're doing and not feel like you're destroying, but you're creating. And I think that's an important way to think of it. And the rest of it will come. Like, you know, I don't often think about, you know, you think about a lot about awards or whatever, but if you can write really well and or create really well, people will recognize you in time. And if you don't, then they won't. So it's fine. <laughs> An artist need to know how to write the best they can, but it's writing, especially if you are applying to anything and in art, you have to apply to other things, galleries, grants, doing your bio artistic uh, statement. So knowing how to write and express your ideas with that small statement, small thing, piece of writing, uh, because we don't have the chance most of the times to speak with people uh, face to face. So dedicating time for that is is a is a winner. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, it was wonderful to have a conversation with you. I I learned a lot, a lot, and I just as I told you, I think photographers do a great job because they and writers because and you are doing all these all of this together because it's it's a way of people putting a face to a problem and getting getting the wheel moving in terms of conservation and uh, environmental environmental conservation yeah so thank you well thank you for having me you are a delight and i appreciate you all your questions and you're very thoughtful and, and thanks so much for having me I, i surely appreciate it